Hey there, everybody, and welcome back to Good Orderly Direction, Practical Tools of the Bible. Today, we are continuing with the flood narrative. We are still in Genesis chapter 8, where we're talking about God's promise. I'm your host, Dr. Donnelly Snipes. So remember from the last video that... Noah and his family had gone through the flood and we're picking up now after the flood, after the 150 days where the uh, waters continued to flood the earth. Now it's dry, or at least parts of it are dry. Noah and his family leave the ark and build an altar to God and make sacrifices. This can be really confusing for a lot of Christians who have focused their attention on the New Testament because the Old Testament talks a lot about sacrifices. So what are all these sacrifices about? In the Old Testament, sacrifices are often in the form of burnt offerings. The hunters, the farmers, the people that were living were giving gifts to God. Thoroughly burning the offering, whatever their gift was, turned it into smoke, which allowed it to ascend to the heavens so God could actually access it. They didn't believe that God could access stuff that was on earth, so they were trying to send their gift to God so he could benefit from it. It's important to remember that even in the Old Testament, not all sacrifices were for forgiveness. Some of the sacrifices were gifts to God. Remember back in Cain and Abel, when they gave gifts to God, the best fruits from their labors as a thank you for his blessings. And this is a lot like how we give gifts to the people that we love today to celebrate them being in our life. In the New Testament, the emphasis turns to sacrificing to support the community or the body of Christ. Um, we hear passages in the New Testament, for example, like, what you do for the least of these, you do for me. What preemptive sacrifices does good orderly direction call for? Now, we aren't making burnt offerings anymore, but good orderly direction actually asks us to make sacrifices. When we are patient, we are sacrificing our desire to be impulsive. We are actually having to use some restraint. And sometimes that means not getting what we want exactly when we want it. Enjoyment. Sometimes we sacrifice enjoyment for the greater good. Now it's important that we do enjoy the fruits of our labor. We do enjoy the gifts that we've been given and that are available to us. But sometimes we say, you know what? I am going to forego that. I'm gonna make a sacrifice of what I want for me and I'm gonna do what's best for the greater good. Respect makes us or encourages us to make sacrifices. When we respect others' opinions and their thoughts, wants, and needs, we don't have to agree with them. But when we respect them, that is us sacrificing the desire or foregoing the desire to say, my way is the right way and you need to believe it. Forgiveness is also a sacrifice of sorts because when we forgive, we are agreeing to let go of, to sacrifice, anger. Compassion. When we have compassion for others, 
many and this kind of goes along with selflessness too many times when we have compassion we are giving to people to help them when they are struggling or to help them have a rich and meaningful life so all of these things may involve minor sacrifices if you will it's not the same type of sacrifice from the old testament but it does mean foregoing pride and power and selfishness for the greater good why don't we offer repentant sacrifices now well uh, in samuel 15 22 now this is still old testament but samuel uh, pointed out that god is happier with obedience as opposed to sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams there is that old adage it's better to um, ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission and that's really not what god wants us to think about god wants us to do right at the first time and not do what we want to do and then come back and go well you know sorry that doesn't cut it in 12-step programs the first step is we're admitting powerlessness over something and recognizing the devastation that it's causing in our life and that is an example of submission to good orderly direction we are recognizing we need to eliminate this thing from our lives communities thrive when they follow good orderly direction i challenge you to find a community where all of the people embrace prudence and enjoyment and respect and truthfulness and compassion and all those characteristics of good orderly direction i challenge you to find a community like that that isn't doing well now it doesn't mean that everybody embraces those all of the time we're human we're fallible but that is the wonderful thing about prudence and forgiveness it does give us a little bit of wiggle room when we make a mistake when people people are impatient liars lazy selfish prideful etc even if they apologize they've damaged their reputation and ultimately probably harmed the community think about it do you really want to work with someone who does whatever they daggum well please and then comes back and goes ah sorry my bad or do you want somebody who is prudent and thinks before they act and recognizes the impact they have on others the first time so back to the scripture noah built this altar made sacrifices god smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart never again will i curse the ground because of humans even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood and never again will i destroy all living creatures as i have done that's kind of interesting so we're seeing that maybe there's a twinge of regret for what has happened or maybe it's just God saying all right end of that chapter let's move on then God blessed Noah and his son saying to them be fruitful and multiply everything that lives and moves about will be food for you 
but you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And this is, I, I included this because there's a lot of debate sometimes among uh, vegans and vegetarians and uh, omnivores about what are we allowed to eat. And ultimately, there, the Bible says as, as top of the food pyramid, we can eat anything. We have dominion over all of those things. One of the interesting things, and this um, is sort of tangential, but it was just kind of plopped in into the, into the Noah story anyway. Um, you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. That's sort of practical wisdom. And that instruction was one way of helping people avoid, um, you know, food poisoning back then. Then God said to Noah and his sons, never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. I've set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So this is how the flood narrative ends. God's angry because people have become wicked and he rescues the righteous, destroys the wickedness, and then basically starts over again. What are some things that we can learn from this? Well, radical acceptance. God recognizes that people are torn between good and evil from childhood. And this may be a little bit of a misnomer. Back in the ancient times before Christ, there was little understanding of cognitive development. I don't think Noah understood that about the prefrontal cortex or that um, impulse control and higher order reasoning didn't actually develop until adolescence. So it, it could seem that children are evil from an early age, which is what, what God had actually said, that uh, people are evil from childhood. What they often saw was a lack of mature knowledge about distress tolerance, coping skills, and an inability to manage impulses as well as an adult. During the flood, people who were doing evil were wiped out, but those who tried to live a righteous, godly life following good orderly direction were spared. But we can also assume that since Noah and his family are human, and since human are, humans are evil from childhood, that they were imperfect, but they tried. So God is not asking us to be perfect. He's asking us to have the right intentions in our heart. We're going to make mistakes. We are going to um, potentially even fall, fall prey to some sinful desires occasionally. And we need to be truthful and make amends for those things. But it's what really is in our heart that God is concerned about. Noah and his relatives who had chosen that godly life were the only ones that were saved. This may be kind of like God's do-over. Noah's family now provides the foundational knowledge and skills for this whole new race of people. Because remember, you know, all the living things were wiped out. So now you have this man and his family 
who really embraced good orderly direction and they are going to teach that to their children who are going to teach that to their children apparently Noah's life lasted 950 years so there were a lot of generations that emanated from this family that made him fruitful and and they multiplied sometimes even when we're acting from a place of good orderly direction we may make choices that we later regret sometimes we may not have all the information sometimes we just make the wrong choice God may have regretted destroying everything and and he says he won't do it again he does say prior to the flood that he regretted making humans so we know that God does experience regret and then when he's talking to Noah and he says you know I did this I'm not going to do that again we may think assume that there was also a twinge of regret there and he says you know what that was probably not the choice the only choice I could have made but instead of dwelling on regret or guilt or those sorts of emotions God radically accepts what happened and he says all right how can I improve the next moment what can I do and that's an important lesson for us because a lot of times we hold on to guilt we hold on to regret we continue to assail ourselves for mistakes we made in the past instead of learning from them and moving forward back to the story God says as long as the earth endures seed time and harvest cold and heat summer and winter day and night will never cease he's pointing out remember back in Genesis 1 we talked about balance and dialectics how there was dark and there was light there was water there was land there was balance to things and balance is so important in life and he says here that those things are going to continue we also know that there's going to be a balance between good and evil because humans as was stated earlier are have an evil inclination from childhood but there's also the hope that they can behave in a godly way happiness and sadness you know we keep going over these um, pairs of things and it's important to think about what can I learn from each seed time and harvest there's a time for things to develop and a time for things to um, be used so there's a time for us to grow and develop into whatever we're type of human we're going to be you know if you're an engineer or a doctor or whatever you're going to be and then there's a time to use those gifts cold and heat and, and there's a time and day and night there's a time to rest and there's a time to grow there's a time to be sedentary there's a time to move happiness and sadness yes none of us likes to feel sad but there is going to be sadness in life what can we learn from that well if we didn't have sadness it would be hard to really enjoy happiness quite as much you know once you've experienced sadness when you experience happiness it's like whoa this is pretty awesome 
Not that I'm wishing sadness on anybody. However, recognizing that our trials and hard times can make us appreciate the good times even more. God doesn't promise that life will always be easy, but he encourages us to embrace the dialectics, be willing to tolerate the distress, and recognize that good orderly direction will help provide a safe home base. Cold and heat, for example. I don't like the cold. I love the snow. Don't really like the cold. So when it's cold, you know, I'm going, oh my gosh, I can't wait for summer. But I appreciate the warm temperatures when they arrive after a cold period. Other concepts that you might be able to glean from this story, and there are so many that I'm sure I'm missing, but these are just a few to help you start exploring the um, underlying themes of the story as you read it. In what way is the current turmoil in the world like the brewing storm that eventually led to the flood? What if the ark was actually symbolic of a united community that worked together to protect each other and the flood was symbolic of civil unrest among people driven by selfish, greedy, and prideful ideologies? Noah knew trouble was coming and fortified his position by building the ark. Now, whether he was just a really smart guy and said, ooh, it looks like a really bad storm's coming, or he actually talked to God, people will debate that. But ultimately, he knew trouble was coming. He had that wisdom. And he said, I know that you know, bad, bad mojo's getting ready to happen. What can I do to protect those that I love? How can you use good orderly direction to fortify your position and build your ark to protect you from the, the storms that are out there? <music>